0: I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle,
1: you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality.
0: Welcome to life today. Live, happy Monday to you. Happy daylight savings time if you do that. If you're in Arizona, just Disregard that, uh, but it's great to have you. Uh, I had a wonderful weekend, was um, with the worship team all weekend, and so you know, uh, I it's just been a good one. And so I'm excited about today because we're kicking it off with someone that I've known for a while, and you know, he makes me smile because he is excited to share the gospel with people, and that's what he does. And you know what, I think that makes Jesus smile. Uh, because there's nothing more important in in this world than reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're going to encourage you today. There is a book that Ray Comfort has written. He's my guest today. It's called Why Jesus. Uh, and in you know, it's it's kind of Ray's life and just what he loves to do is tell people, look, this is why you need to know Jesus. And so we're going to encourage you today, maybe equip you a little bit to share your faith with others uh, and if you're not a christian and you're like what is this what are these crazy christian people about well hopefully we'll tell you. Ray man great to see you again. How you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you. And I just got to say I have a love-hate relationship with evangelism. You say I love it. Every day I go somewhere I don't want to go to say something I don't want to say to people who don't want to hear it. <laughs> and so I'm not that excited about it and I make myself myself go like a firefighter he commits himself to being a firefighter, and just because he's showing up at a fire that's kind of scary that he has to actually enter the building, he doesn't hate what he does. He loves what he does, but he kind of terrifies him at the same time.
0: Uh, you could say that you're, you're working it out with fear and trembling in a, in a positive way. Um, but w- so uh, that's, an, that's actually kind of an odd statement, and you, you're, you're the champion of statements that make people pause and think. I do know this, uh, and that's a great thing. So, But what, is there not um, an inherent joy? I mean, because you get to see the, the – sometimes you get to see the harvest. Not always, but you yeah, at least get the I I get, I I get great joy when I come back. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I, I say to my team,
1: you know, we've got a, a dragging feet, clicking heels ministry. Whenever you go to do evangelism, you drag your feet. And you see the same thing in, in Scripture. The, the disciples came back rejoicing. So each day I go out on my bike, it's an electric bike, I have my dog on a platform, the dog wears sunglasses, and we go to a local college twice a day. And every time I go, I get negative thoughts. I'd rather just lie back in my lazy boy, <laughs> made for comfort, just sit back and watch an old black and white movie. But I can't do that. <laughs> I can't. I'm, I say with the disciples, I cannot but speak that which I've seen and heard. I've found everlasting life. How could I sit back in ease and comfort while sinners sink into hell. So I have this tremendous burden. You know, empathy hurts. Did you know that? Yeah. You empathize with the ungodly. If you've got a heart like Jesus had, there'll be a cry in your heart for this world because they're sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, terrified, as the Bible says in the amplified version, and I'll say it a little louder because of that. They are haunted by the fear of death all their lifetime, Hebrews 2. So that Reeves, me. I'm horrified at such a thought. And that's what one of the things is that drives me to go to the local college and go to Huntington Beach, which I've done every Saturday almost for about 15 years, to share the gospel because I care about unsaved people. And every Christian should feel like that. I'm nothing special. I'm just an ordinary, average, everyday Christian that takes to heart the Great Commission.
0: And you're doing it at Huntington Beach. I mean, it could be, you could be in West Texas. So count your blessings. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful place. So, but you know, and you know, California is a, a little bit of. A, it's a tough audience in a lot of ways. Um, what are some of the big objections you hit when you, when you go talk to people?
1: Well, there's no real objection that can knock me off my platform. Sure. You know, even the the, the suffering question can have a very simple answer. If someone says, "What about all the suffering?" There's no God because of all the suffering. I'm an atheist because of suffering. Well, that doesn't make sense. It's like buying a brand new Toyota and saying, boy, this is well-made. Look at all the high-tech stuff. I love how this, how Toyota made this so well. Driving along, your accelerator gets stuck and you tear through an intersection caused terrible, terrible and People are lying on the ground. Some are dead, others are suffering. So you look at the suffering and say, look at the suffering. Therefore, nobody made my car that doesn't make sense. It's a logical, it's a huge leap of logic. Now you'd rather say, oh, look at all the suffering. Something went wrong with the car. Mm. That's the logical way to take it. So when you look at it, at creation, we, we just, what a marvel of creation. Flowers and birds, the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars. The marvels of the human brain, the miracle of childbirth, the human eye, sunrise, sunset, the fruits, the, the seasons—all these things are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're left in awe. The heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah. And when we see suffering and say, "Well, look, uh, everything's well made," but I, I believe there's no one that no one made it because of suffering, makes no sense. The question should be, something has gone wrong, and what went wrong is Genesis one to three. Man rejected God. God made everything perfect. And when sin came, in came suffering, disease, pain, and death. So we should never, ever reject the Bible or the God of the Bible because of the issue of suffering. We should rather accept it because the Bible gives the complete answer as to why there is suffering and death. And so all these questions can be turned around. You know, we're living in a, a day and age where the fields truly are ripe for the harvest. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a generation that seems to be anti-God. They're called nuns because they have no uh, affiliation whatsoever. Well, they're right for the harvest. Mm-hmm. It's being said, you can lead a horse to, horse to water, but you can't make a drink. That is just not true. You can salt the oats. And there's a way to salt the oats of any human being. And that's to say this. Do you know the Old Testament promises that God would destroy death? And in the New Testament, we're told how he did it. I say that to people. And they say, I say, did you know that? And they say, no. Is he interested? And suddenly, even an atheist is interested in the fact that God can give everlasting life to all those that obey the gospel. And that's the promise of Scripture. Jesus Christ has abolished death. So it's very important to realize that Jesus spoke the truth when he said the fields are white to harvest. There's no such thing as a hardened generation. They're only hardened on the outside. Their conscience is seared because of sin. And when you know how to cut into that conscience, it changes everything and causes even an atheist to be interested in the
0: gospel. So you referenced there, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, death being swallowed up in victory. You, you think that that is a reality today? That's not a future thing?
1: Oh, well, yeah, for the Christian, the moment you are saved, the moment the Holy Spirit enters you, you are sealed. You know, you have given the inheritance of what's coming. Uh, the life of God dwells within you. Jesus spoke like no other, other person in, in history. His life, the book's called Why Jesus?, His life compared to every other spiritual leader is like the sun at noonday compared to a flashlight without batteries. There's just no comparison because he said things like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. John says the life became manifest. We handled it and touched it. He that has the sun has life. Paul said Christ who is our life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when the Holy Spirit dwells within you, when you're born of the Spirit, the life of God's within you, and death has no hold on you. Mm-hmm. Whether it's life, there cannot be death. And when there's death, there cannot be no life. So before I was a Christian, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I was made alive by Christ. And that's what happens to the Christian. We have a Lazarus experience. Yep. God calls our name and says, come forth. Yep. And we're made alive after we stunk. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I love, I love it. I'm right there with you man that's a, that's a beauty of, of what Paul's explaining there and what Christ did and it's a wonderful thing so here's something you, you used a, a logical argument just now uh to talk about sin uh and and I I love that but we we do live in this tension sometimes between you know being able to give a good uh, defense of our faith which we should all be able to do you help equip us with that and also the work of the spirit which we cannot do do. That, that is a work of God. Uh, and I think some Christians, um, they struggle on both ends that they go, you know, I'm not that good at explaining things. I can't argue with these people that want to argue. Uh, and then the other end, you know, the other ditch I would say is, is, you know, well, I mean, I can't save somebody. I mean, only God can do that. And all of creation reveals God to them. So they're without excuse. So where's that middle road of look, yes, appealing to the senses of people, but understanding that only God can do the work. I think sometimes we fall in a ditch on either side, and as a result, we we don't walk that road.
1: Yeah, the Bible says, How will they hear without a preacher? God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. Mm-hmm. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. So when he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature so (laughs) my um the way i find out whether i'm going to witness to someone is i ask myself is he breathing or is she breathing (laughs) they're breathing they're ready for me to share the gospel with them because they're part of all and every that jesus spoke of in the great commission so every breathing person needs to hear that god has destroyed death through the gospel you spoke of uh, people saying oh i don't know how to answer that doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. I actually, uh, whenever I go into the heat of battle, I go with a caveat of knowing I don't have to defend the Bible. That's what one. That's one thing that we we kind of. It's a it's a battle we take on. We don't need to take on. Yeah. It's a hill we don't need to die on. I love how Charles Burton said this. He said, "Defend the Bible. I'd rather defend a lion. You see, a lion can take care of itself, and the Bible can take care of itself, and I have a." Tadpole in my throat, trying to evolve into a frog, one moment. <coughs> <coughs> killed it. Yeah, go. so we, we're we not called to defend the Bible. And the reason for this is this. Early Christians didn't defend the New Testament. You know why? Because it didn't exist. <laughs> There's no such thing as the printing press, and hardly anyone can read. So they didn't see their agenda as to defend the New Testament, mm-hmm. neither the Old Testament. hmm they just proclaimed it and that, pe- that had power of itself. No the, the new the early church didn't defend the Bible. they didn't need to. Their defense was of the gospel because it's the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. So if someone says to me there's mistakes in the Bible, I might say I might say, well, can you tell me one? We'll see if we can deal with it. Where did Cain get his wife? Well he married a distant sister. Oh, just like you will, part of the human family. we marry distant, distant sisters. <laughs> Cain and Abel bled bread like rabbits. God commanded them to have sex, Christian program. But God commanded Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. He wasn't talking about math. He was talking about reproducing children. So <laughs> Cain married a different sister, uh, a, a distant sister. And so you can deal with these problems real easily, but don't get tied up on them. They're rabbit trails. Yeah. Do what Jesus did and go for the conscience. And there's a reason for and this is. This is my greatest, if I may use it, weapon when I go into warfare, when I fight the good fight of faith. Romans 8 verse 7 says the carnal mind is in a state of hostility towards God. Mm -hmm. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It uses the word enmity in the King James Version. That means there's the state of hostility. And you can see that when human beings use the God who gave them life's name, his holy name, as a cuss word what person in history has had their name used as a cuss word only jesus and god why because of that enmity jesus said the world hates me because i testify mm. of its deeds that they're evil john 7 verse 7. so what i do is i try and get away from the carnal mind as quickly as i can i deal with apologetics i answer questions briefly <clears throat> and then i go directly to the conscience as jesus did and I even ask permission to do this. You know, when you're driving on the freeway, it's a courtesy if you're going to change lanes to do a little signal. I really don't like it when guys zoom past me at, huh. you know, 80 miles an hour and just go, no, I'd like to know where he's going so I don't get killed by him. And when I change lanes, I signal to the person I'm witnessing to. I say, do you mind if I change the subject? I've been addressing your intellect. Can I speak to your conscience? He doesn't feel threatened by that. And he say, go ahead. I'm a good person. I'll be fine. I say, how many lies have you told? Have you ever stolen something? Have mm-hmm. you ever used God's name in vain? you ever looked with lust? Had sex before marriage? What happens is you move away from that carnal mind, the intellect, which is in a state of hostility, and you move to the conscience, which is in a state of harmony with the Ten Commandments. Romans 2, verse 15, which show the work of the law, that's the commandments, written on their heart, the conscience bearing witness the thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing, or us excusing one another. So when I go through the commandments, I suddenly see an atheist or an agnostic or an antagonistic antagonistic person who was going like this suddenly go unconsciously. They do it unconsciously. Why? Because they intuitively know it's wrong to lie and steal and blaspheme and fornicate and commit adultery and commit murder. It's all written on their heart. So when you go to the conscience, you actually line up with an ally that's right in the heart of the enemy. And that's what Jesus did with the rich young ruler. He said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And then he said, you know the commandments. And even brought in something that's not a commandment. He said, defraud not when he quoted the commandments. That's not a commandment, defraud not. And it would seem the inference is this rich young ruler obtained his riches through fraud. Hmm. And everyone has this secret sin. Often it's pornography or something like that. And you've got to bring it to light. And you bring it to light with the commandments, and the conscience agrees, and you don't get arguments or antagonism from the person because of that conscience agreeing with the commandments.
0: Um, Rick, on Facebook, I will get to your question in just a minute, just so you know. But the, in this idea of, of dealing with um, the sin that is in people, right, um, you you talk about the fact that people love their sin. They they love Darkness, um, and how how do you how do you square that? Because I mean, if someone loves their sin and they love darkness, and you're preaching the gospel, it will it not fall on deaf ears? Right? How do you how do you position their love for darkness and our sharing the light uh, in your approach?
1: That's a great question. The way I do it is think of a doctor. The doctor has a patient before him that he thinks he's well. In fact, he's boomingly well. He goes to the gym every morning. He's got a great physique. He looks good. But the doctor knows differently. He knows that the guy has got cancer. He's got actually two weeks to live. It's going through his system. Hmm. He's got a cure in his pocket. Does he show him the x-rays? Or does he show him or does he give him the cure? And often people say, well, give him the cure, the guy's going to die. I say, no, that's a huge mistake because he thinks he's well. He doesn't think he's in danger. If hmm. I say... I'm a doctor. I say, here's a cure for that terrible disease. He to say, What are you talking about? Look at me, I'm fit and healthy. You're annoying me with a silly cure. <laughs> now, if the doctor knows what he's doing, he'll grab those X-rays, he'll put them X-rays, he'll put them in front of his face, and say, See this? You've got a terminal disease. See this? This is seeping through your system. This is your X-ray. You're going to be dead in two weeks. And the doctor will make him sweat, make his mouth go dry, to a point where that man will say. Whoa, Doc, I see this is serious. Mm-hmm. What should I do? Mm. Now he's ready for that cure. Now he'll appreciate it and he'll appropriate it. And what we've done in evangelism for the last 100 years, is we've held up the cure. Who doesn't know John three sixteen? Jesus died for my sins. Like, I don't need that. Look, I'm a good person. Mm. They think they're morally well. Mm. So what we have to do is do what Jesus did and hold up the x-rays, those 10 commandments. The Bible says of Jesus in the Old Testament, book of Isaiah, He shall magnify the law and make it honorable. And that's exactly what we see happening in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. You've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. Here comes the x-rays. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. And so what I do is I convince a person who thinks they're morally well that they're terminal to a point where they say, like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to mm. be saved? Yeah. Give them an earthquake, or do what Paul did with Felix. Make them tremble. Why? Because it'll make them serious for the God that gave them life. It'll show them their terrible danger. And I, you know, there's a scripture that says that if you reprove a person, he will thank you afterwards. It's in I think it's Proverbs somewhere in Proverbs. And that's exactly what happens. I have someone who says, "Look, I'm a good person. Don't." give me this stuff. I said, well, look. let me just reason with you for a minute. I take him through those commandments. He's lied. He's stolen. He's a lying mm-hmm. thief. He's blasphemer of the God that gave him life. He's a fornicator. He's looking at pornography. He's got a massive sense. I said, if God judges you by those commandments. You're going to be innocent or guilty. He says, well, I'll be guilty. Heaven or hell. He says, well, it looks like I'm going to hell. That happened in two minutes mm. from a good person going to heaven. Wow, I'm a wretched sinner going to hell. Now he's ready for the gospel. And I say to those people, I believe you're in terrible danger. If I can convince you you are in mortal danger, I'm doing you a favor because you can get out of it. Is that right? And they say, yeah. And when I go through those commandments, then I often stop and say, can you see your danger? They say, yeah, I can. Mm. That makes them thank me for the gospel. Mm. That makes them hang around afterwards for no reason, just because the fact they, they understand that my motivation is love. I'm not trying to proselytize or get them to join my church. I love the guy. I don't want him to go to hell. Mm. I had one guy say to me, what do you mean you love me? You just don't. You've just met me. I said, well, <laughs> you saw strangers getting into a car. that had brakes that had failed. And they are sitting on a, a road that goes downhill. And there's a thousand foot, thousand foot cliff. You're going to say to that family, hey, how you doing? Or are you going to run up and bang on their water? You don't even know them. Yeah. But you love them enough to warn them. Yeah. And I'm loving you enough to warn you today. You're in terrible danger. God's wrath abides on you. In the book of Romans chapter 2 says every time you sin, you are storing up that wrath that's going to be revealed on de- Judgment Day. You're in terrible danger. You need a Savior, someone who can wash away your sins, and Jesus can do that because of what he did on the cross. You know, one of the, the greatest tools I have, if I may use it, or say it's a tool, is uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sinners' death. Mm-hmm. I say, have you ever heard that verse? They say, no, I say, it's very famous. It's saying God is paying you in death for your sins. Like a judge who looks at a criminal and keeps saying, I'm a good person, but the judge knows he's committed murder. He says, I'm going to show you how serious your crime is. I'm giving you the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what you've earned. Mm. And I say, Eric, sin is so serious to a holy God, he's given you the death sentence. You're on death row, and your death will be evidence to you that God is deadly serious about sin. And you see his eyes widen Mm. because no one's explained to him why we die. Mm. This world death is uh, it's an elephant in the room that's stomping on everybody and no one talks about it. Yeah. If anyone should be talking about it it's Christians, if anyone should explain why the Bible says we die, it should be Christians amplifying that verse and saying it's payment from God for your sins. This is deadly serious.
0: This is the book we're talking about. It's called Why Jesus by Ray Comfort. You can get it wherever you get books. You can also go to livingwaters.com and see lots of great stuff. From Ray out there doing exactly what he's talking about right now. And we do have a question on Facebook. I hope it's not too sideways for you, but I, it actually ties in because uh, someone's asking about Calvin, Calvinism. Um, yeah. where, where do you fall on that? I, I reject Calvinism personally, but um, I don't know well, I can sure. handle
1: it. I'll tell you why. I see it as two two wings of a plane. You drop one, take away the sovereignty of God, that no man can come to the Son unless the Father draws him, that God gives repentance, the acknowledgement of the truth. I don't breathe without God's permission. I don't have blood without his creative hand. So I have no problem uh, believing in the sovereignty of God, but I also believe in the free will of man. And This is how I reconcile the two. Lazarus was dead. He stunk, four days dead. He couldn't make himself alive. But when he heard the voice of Jesus, his free will responded. He got laid in that grave for the rest of his life, not responded. But he got up and came out. And we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We can't make ourselves alive. But when we hear the voice of Jesus for the first time truly, then we respond by our own free will. Whosoever may come, ho, oh, everyone that thirsts, you know, for God's so love the world, they gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes. Yep. And so my agenda when I speak to the lost is to speak to everybody uh, because the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yep. And they come to repentance because of the sovereignty
0: and the kindness of God. Works for me. <laughs> and I don't, how do you, so I know <clears throat> probably some of your, most difficult to talk to people like jesus were those who knew the law those who knew the script those who know the scriptures what do you do with people that because i mean I, I could lay out things that you and i disagree on theologically right here and we could we can hash that and i'm fine with the conversation but when it becomes an obstacle uh as calvinism what do we disagree is people, on
1: can you what, tell me what we disagree on? i'll see if i can fix it in seconds it's probably someone telling you something that's not true
0: oh can man you? no no it, it would take a lot longer i don't want to i don't want to keep you here the rest of the day um okay but it touch, touches on on the, uh, my accent your your accent's good um okay. and I'll keep it. if you don't like mine i can fix it because i am primarily irish so we can go over into that anytime you like if that's a more suitable yeah. uh expression for you so um no, no no it has to do with uh dispensationalism but uh, oh, okay.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I could I could explain that in a second. <laughs> no, you want me to?
0: No,
1: you can. Go ahead if you want. Let me give it a try, because I'm terrified of prophecy, because I know I can split a church by saying I believe this. <laughs> right,
0: I know. And that's what I yeah. was going to ask. I was really going to ask more about sort of the theological differences and how you deal with that sometimes than specific ones. But go ahead. Yeah, let me just
1: say that. In Acts 28, I think it's 23, Paul reasoned with people concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. Mm -hmm. When you uh, reason concerning Jesus out of the prophets, you're appealing to the intellect. When you reason out of the law of Moses, you appeal to the conscience. So I see prophecy as a huge uh, bait when I'm fishing for men, not for Christians. This is for unsaved people. And so I like to say, you know, there's things in the Bible about men's hearts failing them from fear about, of the things that are coming upon the earth, and we can see that happening. Um, and, I, and I'm and i always aware that there's different interpretations among Christians, so I tread very, very carefully and try and just choose prophecies that most Christians agree on. Um, not praterism, I try and stay away from all that sort of stuff. Just using it as a springboard for the gospel. So if you find videos out there where I talk about um, prophecy, I try and deal with it treading very caref- carefully so I don't offend Christians, and then get straight to the gospel, appealing to the conscience. But I do see it as a legitimate form, and I don't want to miss it out because I see so many people sit up when I say, you know, only God knows the future, and he's given us the future in his word. And so if you read the Bible, uh, the prophecies of Scripture establish the fact that God knows the future, and if he knows the future then he's God, and the Bible's his word, then and then his promise of everlasting life is credible and it's worthy of your acceptance or your interest so that's the only reason i touch on prophecy and i know it's a real fragile thing and i do it with fear
0: and trembling we stick with the primary issues Um, Yes, and and, you know once you're in the the family you know i'm happy to talk about some of these secondary maybe even tertiary issues uh for the sake of of understanding uh, because i do i want to understand scripture um, but I don't lean on my own understanding because I know that it comes up short every time
1: right
0: all right uh, last last word to you Ray um and I, I'm what I want to know and because you came on you know talking about going out uh, with a, a bit of drudgery every day but come on what is what does it do when you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you know you led someone to Christ that day that's got to be an amazing thing
1: yeah but i have never led anyone to christ really i
0: don't save people i just no I you, but them. you led them you preached the word and you saw yeah that's it and so i
1: get satisfaction it. with that but i'm so unsatisfied i really feel like i'm with the uh titanic as it's sinking and thousands of people are drowning or over a thousand people are drowning and i've pulled up three and so i'm horrified that people are going to hell and and so i don't rest in my laurels Can I just mention that I am very encouraged by a YouTube channel, 275 million views, and so people pray about that and and just say, "Lord, please explode it." You know, I'm I'm coming up 75. I'll be dead soon, so I pray that God uses it continually after I'm gone. Also, if I may mention it, we've got a we've got an outreach in Paris coming up where we're giving away over 12 million free gospel tracks, no charge. We did London uh, during the coronation and 16,000, sorry, 16 million of these tracks were given away by (laughs) 22,000 people in one day. 22,000 people. So we've got an outreach to Paris during the Olympics. We've got them being printed in Europe and in England and Australia and in the US. They're so good and they're so, they have so look like collectibles. People are going to grab them. So people can get these free tracks. Can I give the website address? Please do livingwaters.com forward slash paris
0: paris okay so
1: livingwaters.com forward slash paris you can even go with our team to paris during the olympics oh. for the outreach we're doing a conference or get these free tracks sent to you in australia new zealand europe or the united states
0: well man ray i appreciate you uh matter of fact you know what let me show people the website real quick i have the url on the screen while you're saying that minus the paris this is uh livingwaters.com so when you see that you're in the right place just do the slash Paris, and you can find out the thing uh, upcoming. And if you want to, if you want to go the Olympics, uh, and you won't win any gold medals, but you will win some souls with Ray. I promise, uh, man. Just I, I appreciate you, uh, and I, you know I I hope I hope you I hope that God that God blesses you with a special joy, and, and knowing that you are partnering with him and in his invitation to share his love and life with others. And I just, I, I hope you really have a great time uh, well, thank doing you doing that Lord. outreach. And I appreciate you. Anything else you want to add before I let you go?
1: No, that's it. That's it. Just so learn, watch the YouTube channel. That's the best way to learn. You'll, you'll find that everyone's the same. There's nothing new under the sun. Everyone has, everyone has a conscience. Atheists back down when you prove God's existence. So you can do that and uh, become acquainted by just watching those free youtube uh, videos Uh, they'll train you up
0: there you go i appreciate it you keep doing it you keep spreading the gospel and keep coming back here i appreciate you spending time with us today and those of you watching i appreciate you watching thanks for the, the question rick there hope uh gives you a little something to think about If you haven't liked or followed or subscribed, do that on this channel. You'll get notification of more good interviews and hit the share button. Encourage others. I'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. Good work.